Hey guys, grab your Bibles now and open them back up to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to start our effort at finishing up Hebrews 11. We'll do that, Lord willing, next week. And then when I get back from the land of the Galatians, um, uh, we'll finish up the, uh, chapter 12 and chapter 13 uh, in the fall. Now, speaking of the land of the Galatians, um, we'll be leaving a week from tonight. Um, but the, uh, the man who gets me in all of this trouble um, is among us this morning. And... Um, and it, you know, guys, uh, as a pastor, you don't have many, uh, y- y- there's not a whole lot of friendships that you establish outside of the church as in terms of clergy, but the Lord has given me, this man is a good friend, uh, one of my better friends, if not, <laughs> but Ronnie and Jane Stevens are among us this morning. Many of you remember Ronnie and Jane for, as the senior pastor at First Evan. They're sitting right over there. Ronnie and Jane, would you please stand up and say hello? There they are. Our... <clears throat> also, Ronnie Stevens will be preaching here on the 10th of September. Um, you don't want to miss that. Uh, um, one of the challenges that I have this morning is preaching in front of Paul. I feel like Timothy uh, preaching in front of Paul. So uh, Paul's going to be here on the 10th, and so I hope you'll, you'll come be a part of that. And by the way, if you did not hear those three messages um, that are entitled uh, A Message from Baku, I never do this much to you, but I would encourage you to listen to those. Only because they're really, it's just really one sermon in three installments. But they have to do with a, a course correction that I, I hope we can make as I uh, finish up in my ministry, however long that is. And that is, to summarize it simply, is to, to stop being takers and become givers. Um, to not be uh, the served, but the servers. That's uh, the, the essence of those three messages. I hope you'll listen to those because it's not, it's not like you're going to hear it in those three messages and never again. I hope to keep it before you for the rest of my time with you. Okay, you follow now as I read from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's been a long time since we've been in uh, Hebrews 11. I'm going to read three verses beginning at verse 32. You follow as I read that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God as black words on white page. You, um, you listen to this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, um, this last section or last sections of Hebrews 11 is, is, is fairly difficult to manage. Um, even, even the author says so. He says, uh, for time would fail me. Um, and I, I feel like time would fail me to deal with passages like these. And let, let me tell you why it's difficult to manage. Instead of giving us one name, which he has done elsewhere in this chapter, and we've dealt with one name almost perverse, 
But um, instead of giving us one name, he gives us a list of names. This rapid-fire list of names which are arranged in really no particular chronological order. And very honestly, um, I, I would say to you, it is, um, um, I, I, if I were going to choose names to be included in this chapter, I, I'm not sure I would have chosen these. I mean, where is Jeremiah in this list? Don't find him. What about Solomon? Don't find him. But you do find uh, names like Gideon. You remember him? He was the one that put out the fleece because he really didn't know whether God had really spoken to him. And, and then uh, um, he, he described himself like this. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. He said that about himself. I'm a nobody, says Gideon. He uh, was the one that had the army that was too big and it had to be scaled back down. Remember that? And then there, um, Barak. Barak was the guy who originally refused to obey, and it was only when Deborah said that she would go with him that he decided, decided, okay, I'll go do it. And then there was Samson. I mean, did you ever read that story of Samson? Samson and Delilah, you know. They made a movie out of that. I mean, that's a wasted life, a man's life wasted on sensuality until until the end of his life. And then there's Jephthah. Jephthah, who was a man born out of wedlock, his brothers didn't like him, so they kicked him out of the house. But he's the one that God chooses to deliver Israel, and he goes out and um, makes this stupid vow, and, which cost him his daughter. But then in that same list, you find names like David and Samuel. I mean, you don't, you don't get much better than those two. But there they are, David and Samuel, you know, stalwarts. In the same list with... Um, with Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Um, it seems to me that one of the purposes behind this, that is the, the reason in, in the author's mind, one of the things that he's trying to do is that he's trying to demonstrate that, the, um, that, that perhaps our definitions of what is, a, what is a good person and a bad person needs to be changed. You see, the thing that placed all of these people in the same lump, in the the same household, is that they all exercised faith. It it wasn't, there's not a a, a list of the really nice people who did good things and the bad people who did bad things. No. It's one list, and their commonality is that they all exercised faith. The thing that is their bond no matter how much sin they did or didn't do, their, their, their bond was that they believed the promises of God. Particularly the one that, where God promised to provide a sacrifice for their sin. Because you see, guys, that's, how, that's the way one, anyone, no matter what record you may have, That's how anyone enters this household, is through faith in the promises of God with specifically that one about, I'm going to provide a sacrifice for your sin, which he, of course, did. But I think that's part of his point. He gives us this list of names, some of them that we would say, now those are good guys, but these guys, eh. But they all got in the same family all the same way, just like this bunch. You, us, some of us have checkered pasts, 
Some of us were good boys and girls. Some of us um, got to college and lost our minds. Some of us, uh, you know, been walking kind of straight and narrow all our lives. But ladies and gentlemen, none of that matters. Because the thing, the entrance into the household, into the family of God, is only by faith for all of us. No matter what the, uh, the skeletons in our closets might be. So it's faith that... that um, by which we enter into this household, but it is also faith which enables us to endure to the end. To endure what? Well, gang, um, did you notice it in the text? Let me point it out to you. But I'm I'm sure that one of the messages that for us out of this little brief portion of God's word is that in all of these lives they all entered into a family of faith and when they entered, they adopted a life of conflict. Did you see it? Did you see all these clauses? Listen to it. Um, Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Do you hear it? All of that language is language of battle, of war, of conflict. So you see, in, in this life that we entered by faith, is that the life that you signed on for? A life that is marked with conflict. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if, if not, you're in the wrong household. The point, I think, that the author is, or at least one of the points that he's making, is that the path of faith is in itself a path of conflict. Because that is the nature of what is taking place in the heavenlies, ladies and gentlemen. That's the result of living Living in a fallen world, don't, don't turn here, but let me just read you this. This is one verse out of 1 Peter 4. Peter is writing in, to his audience and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Hey, you guys, don't be, don't be shocked. But lo and behold, we are. When the conflict, when the, when the battle, when the, when the war shows up at our doorsteps, oh, what has happened? Ladies and gentlemen, that's the nature of this life of faith. Um, we shouldn't be surprised, but we are. These guys weren't. Do you see that everything that is used by this author to characterize their lives? It's a, it's a life of conflict. You know, Satan has fought the purposes of God ever since he was cast out of heaven. And all that bloodshed that people recoil at in the Old Testament, gang, in a lot of ways it's predictable. Um, 
it's predictable because the great offense, the great conflict, was not so much between Israel and her enemies. It was between God and the purposes he had for Israel and the great enemy of the soul. The Moabites and the Ammonites and all those ites, um, they were simply the pawns in the conflict that goes on moment by moment between God and Satan. Satan doesn't know that he lost, so he continues to fight. One of my favorite quotes is out of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where Apollyon says to Christian, he says, I hate your God, I hate his word, and I hate his people. Hmm, (laughs) that would be us. I hate your God, Christian, I hate your book, or I hate his book, and I hate his people. Hey, don't be surprised, but we are. Now, um, I would suggest to you that Satan um, has changed his strategy in our day, uh, knowing that all of that bloodshed in the Old Testament would unmask him. And so his tools that he uses in the conflict today are, are, are different. He, he operates differently. And I want to give you an example of what I mean. Because I think this is the nature of the conflict for us. I read a blog, um, uh, oh gosh, six weeks or, or, or so ago. It was written by a young man, uh, a, co- a college guy, who identified himself as a homosexual in the article. And in the article, he makes this statement. And I'm quoting. He says, My sexual orientation is not a choice, but hate is. Do you hear that? My sexual orientation is not a choice, but hate is. Now, gang, I am not going to enter this debate as to the origin of one's sexual orientation. That's not my point. But here's my point. Do you see the implication of that statement? The implication is anybody who disagrees with him is a hater. Jimmy Young, you're a hater. You don't agree with that, do you, Jimmy? No, I don't. Then you're a hater. And, and, and that, I'm suggesting, is the nature of the conflict these days. Taunts and jeers and threats and, and slanders and misrepresentations. You Christians. Why, you dare to say that that there is only one way to heaven. Shame on you. You ought to be locked up. You know, ladies and gentlemen, in our day, and, and I could name more if I had worked harder, but there is a feminist theology, an identity theology, a liberation theology, and a queer theology. And there's more. But they're all designed to demoralize, to defame, to denounce, to disillusion people who dare to exercise faith in Christ and have the audacity to suggest that the only way any man will ever be reconciled to God is through this Savior. Why, you people are bigots! You ought to be jailed. 
gang, all I'm saying is that that's the nature of the conflict. The conflict is no more bloodshed like you see in the Old Testament. The, the conflict has to do with the defamation, the misrepresentation, the accusation, the taunts, the jeers. And unfortunately, it's working. Christians today are less vocal. They're more relativistic. They're less evangelistic. They're less discerning than ever before. You know, the latest statistic that I saw, actually I didn't see it, somebody told me about it, that uh, 70% of the people who attend church don't believe in absolute values, an absolute truth. Seven out of 10 of you, is that true? Well, let me tell you part of the reason. Part of the reason is that we hate conflict. We hate this conflict. And so instead of continuing to battle, we succumb. We, we, don't, um, we don't live like these guys. <laughs> I mean, uh, stopping the mouths of lions and obtaining promises and enforcing justice and, you know, uh, um, mighty in war and put. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm tired of all that. I'm tired of being called a hater just because of some of my views. I'm tired of being misrepresented and say, what the heck? Forget it. Because maybe they're right. Maybe the idea of absolutes and one way to get to heaven and all that, maybe, maybe they're right and we're wrong. And this whole idea of having faith to quench fires, <laughs> oh, that's a dying breed. We, like the audience to which this letter of Hebrews is written, we're tired of the conflict. And we're ready to, to give in, throw in the towel. They win. You see, guys, the point is that you enter this household by faith. But you also remain. You endure to the end. You, you withstand the conflict by faith. Now, um, I said it as I began, as I began, that this is a very hard passage to manage because look at these clauses down in verse 34, quench the power of fire, uh, it, it, it escape the edge of the sword. You know, I could choose any of those, or perhaps I should, or all of them, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take one of them and appeal to you on via one of these clauses that are listed here in verse 34. And the one that I want to draw your attention to is the, is the words, were made strong out of weakness. These men and women of renown were made strong out of weakness. And here's the first thing I want you to notice. 
That clause, that descriptive clause, is found in a list of other descriptive clauses. Um, The same people who stopped the mouths of lions were the same people who were made strong out of their weakness. You see, the ones that stopped the mouths of lions, they were weak too, like me and you. But they were made strong. You know, guys, most of us aren't going to be thrown to the lions, at least literally. But then um, then how do we manage to succeed in a culture that grows ever more hostile to what we believe? The same way they did. Gang, the demand on us is, is not to understand all of the ways of God, although it's a, it's a good thing to try. The, the, the demand is not that we understand it, but that we believe it. For example, the great promise in Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good to them that love God under the call according to his purpose. The, the, the demand is not that you feel that. The demand is that you believe that in the midst of your turbulent emotions, in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this battle, in the midst of the warfare, I, I cope. By faith. Um, so I'm suggesting that the great need of the hour is that we as the people of God have more of that stuff called faith. So how do we get it? If, if some kind of victory in this conflict is going to be won by faith and I don't have much of it, how do I get more of it? Or, ask differently, how is my weakness turned into strength? Well, the Bible says a couple of things. Uh, Romans 10 is a passage that you all know, I think. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So one of the ways that faith grows is by the regular, systematic, sustained, disciplined intake of God's truth. My friend, if that is not true of you, if you do not have some kind of regular, systematic, sustained, disciplined intake of God's truth, hmm, well, get used to your weakness. And watch as the culture just rolls right over you. One of the ways that strength grows is by the regular, sustained, systematic, disciplined intake of the truth of God. This. The other thing I think that, that Scripture says about growing faith, it, it is a kind of an out-of-the-way statement in Galatians 5, verse 5, where he says... Um, through the Holy Spirit, comma, by faith, comma. Paul in that little section of Galatians 5.5 5 is equating, in essence, through the Spirit by faith. That is, that we grow in faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Gang, our escape from the conflict is not by yielding things that we know to be true. 
the way that we cope in the midst of the taunts and the jeers and the accusations and the misrepresentations is by asking God to help us stand fast by his Holy Spirit. Folks, if you get off this rock, you're going to find yourself on some sinking sand. Or, if you trend towards self-confidence, self-reliance, you better get used to your weakness. Because the weak are made strong through the the ministrations of the Holy Spirit teaching us the truths of this book. Gang, there's one form of weakness that that I I want to address. It's just one of the many that that I could address. But there's just one, one brand that I want to fix our attention on because I see it so frequently. Um, It's almost an epidemic, in my humble opinion, among us. It's that joyless, uh, rather drab, lifeless, plodding through life as a Christian. I'm going to call it depression, Um, kind of a low-grade depression. Uh, I I know that's not probably a a scientific uh, assessment, but I'm, I'm, I'm describing this low, gray, joyless, lifeless, drab Christianity that is, so, that is so frequent among us. Now, to address it, I want to read you a quote. It's a quote from one of my heroes. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And um, many of you probably know that Spurgeon is considered the prince of the pulpit. Uh, no one greater has ever occupied a pulpit as Spurgeon. But what you may not know about Spurgeon is that he was prone to depression. Did you know that? In fact, he would leave his pulpit for months and go rest on the shores of southern France in a, in a city by the name of Mentone, Mentone, France. It's in his books. He would go to Mentone and, and, and try to work through. Now, this guy is one of us. Um, he's a man whose weakness became strong. And so if you're prone to weakness, prone to depression, prone to blahs, low grade, listen. This is a lengthy quote. I'll try to read it slowly. But listen to what Spurgeon has to say to us. Again, it may be that I'm speaking to sad ones who suffer under mental depression. Some of us are by constitution inclined to that condition. I have sometimes envied those good people who are never excited with joy and consequently seldom or ever in depression. Along the cool and sequestered veil of life, they hold the even tenor of their way. Oh, happy people are they. At the same time, When I rise as upon eagle's wings in joyous rapture, I feel right glad to be capable of this blissful excitement. Listen, yet if you soar to the skies, 
you are very apt to drop below the sea level. He that can fly can faint. Elijah, after he had slain the prophets of Baal, was found fleeing into the wilderness from the face of Jezebel. If you are so constituted that you rise and fall, if you are a creature that can be excited and that can be depressed, and worse still, if you happen to have been born on a foggy day and to have swallowed so much of that fog that you have found it shading your spirit many a time ever since, then... That's you. You can only be strong by faith. If you are one of those plants which seldom bloom with bunches of bright flowers, but have your blossoms hidden and concealed, be not disquieted. If you are never mirthful, and seldom able to call yourself joyful. The only cure for depression is faith. Settle this in your heart. Whether I am up or down, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same. Whether I sing or whether I sigh, The promise is true and the promiser is faithful. Whether I stand on Tabor's summit or am hidden in the valley of Baca, the covenant stands fast and everlasting love abideth. Be assured beyond all questioning that he that believeth in the Lord Jesus Christ is not condemned Believe in him though you see no flashes of delight nor sparkles of joy. We are safe. Because we are in the city of refuge. And not because we are in ourselves ill or well. If you will stand firm in Christ Jesus. Even in your weakness, you will be made strong. Gang, do you hear it? Do you hear his advice? If you are prone to bouts of depression, then you're going to have to make your way back to this rock. in which is described the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because ladies and gentlemen, all of the ground is sinking sand. And some of you are on it at this very moment. And the way that you're going to find something firm underneath you is to make your way back to this rock. Gang, faith is the essential ingredient to holy living, staying on track with the cultural winds in your face.
is only going to be accomplished with the regular systematic discipline, the intake of God's word, and a heart that knows that I am safe and in the city of refuge whether I feel good or bad. We are not saved by our obedience. We are saved by faith in Christ, which always leads us to obey. Gang, I say this with every fiber of my being. The only safe path on which we should place ourselves is a path that is marked off by obedience. But even there, conflict will await us. Faith is my weakness clinging to his strength. You know, there's a, there's a statement in the book of Daniel that gets overused, and I'm going to overuse it too. But it's, a, it's not about Daniel. It's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, those are the three that were, that were thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king comes to him and says, uh, you know, I, I'm going to let you out of there if you want to, but you're just going to have to go worship that, that idol that I set up. If you'll just do that, I'll, 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 I won't throw you into that fiery, 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 that fiery furnace. And this is how they replied. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. You know what you call that? You call it faith. You reckon they were scared? Oh, I bet they were. But they stood on a rock. And that rock showed up in the fire. And he will show up in yours. Guys, faith in Christ is how we become a Christian. But growing faith Growing faith is how our weakness is transformed into strength. Our Father, I, I do pray that you'll remind your people that uh, though the culture has gone mad and has found many numerous ways to defame and to discredit and disillusion us, that we're not the first ones. These people in Hebrews 11 face that and more. And so would you remind us of their, their model, a group of weak people who committed themselves to the finished work of Jesus Christ and that ultimately their strength was a derivative of the great power offered them 
by the crucified Christ. Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you, um, would you cause them to see that they're standing on very precarious ground that will one day open up and swallow them if they will not embrace the gospel? Would you open their eyes to see the beauty of that gospel and the central figure of it, Christ and him crucified? Do that, Father, and for the rest of us, would you stir us up to a newfound faith in the promises that you made us, that a room full of weak people like us could be made strong by faith. Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. Praise his name.